Hello and welcome to Just a Guy and his journey back to God. So today we're in Genesis 41 and there's a lot about to happen to Joseph. It's a pivotal uh, time in his life. And before we get to it though, before we get to that pivotal time, let's, let's go to God in prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done. You are the one who guides us. You're the one who leads our lives if we listen. So, Father, I just lift up this time. I lift up your word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, for you to touch us, for you to educate us and give us wisdom as we read. Help us to understand what your message is and how to apply it to our lives. It's in Jesus' name I, I pray. Amen. So, before we start reading, I just want to read a quick paragraph from the Preaching the Word commentary. And in the Preaching the Word commentary, it says about chapter 41, these events, these final events of Joseph's imprisonment are arranged by God to make Joseph an extraordinary instrument for the preservation of his people. Amidst the disappointment and delay of being forgotten by the cupbearer, Joseph's trust in God had been further tempered and deepened. Joseph had had become a radically God-centered man who believed that his God-given dream would come true in God's good time. God would remain at the center of his vision through everything that was to come. At last, Joseph was ready for the great work of his life. So it reminds me that even when I'm going through struggles and, and having hardships, patience, right? And my father once told me, hey, son, don't pray for patience if you don't, if you don't want to have to learn how to have it. And it's very true. Patience can be very challenging, especially in today's society where it's a microwave society, right? We just want things now. But Joseph waits for two full years because he's forgotten But does he become bitter? Does he become angry? Nope. He allows God to continue to hone him and prepare him for his great event, life-working, life-altering event. So let's go ahead and start with verse 1. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. When out of the river came, came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek sleek fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After, After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once, once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us. 
giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he, sha- when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. <clears throat> Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said that you, that when you, were, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. That's pretty intense. And that's also a good understanding of where the power comes from and the abilities, right? It's not from us. It's God working through us. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile. When out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east, east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up after, afterward are seven years. And so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming through throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage, will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food in those, good, in those good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man? one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So God prepared him all this time. He was put in charge of Potiphar's household. He was put in charge of the dungeons and the jails. Now, 
on a slightly larger scale, he's put in charge of Egypt. So Pharaoh, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had, made him, he had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name zaphnath paneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potpharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Azaneth, daughter of Potpharah, priest of On. Joseph named his first his firstborn, Manasseh, and said, It is because God has made me forget all my troubles and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim, and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So he keeps his priorities obviously straight. He keeps remembering and giving everything to God and crediting God for all. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried out to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was so severe everywhere. So God's insights worked in Joseph's favor, but it also saved a whole people because without that extra grain, people would have already started dying. So the insights and the wisdom that comes from God is is incredibly important and immense. And that let's look at what um, A.W. Tozer has to say about this. And it's interesting because remember Tozer passed away in 1960s. I think it was 65 or 66. And he writes about this Genesis 41:16, where it says, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. He writes, conditions over the world are so grave that no one who thinks at all is able any longer to maintain a spirit of optimism. The world's philosophers have long ago ceased to preach peace, except as a goal toward which the nation should frantically struggle, even while they have but little hope of attaining it. It's interesting. This is like from World War II or, or Korean war time frames and whatnot that he's writing this. 
and or maybe even the 50s. I don't know exactly when he wrote this. Um, but it's from his work, this, this World, Playground or Battleground. And I'm amazed at how much it can be um, related to today's words and situation. He goes on. The best brains of the world have gone into the production of tools with which to destroy the world. And if they do such things in the green tree, what shall they do in the dry? Meaning when it's good, they're doing it. But when it gets really nasty and bad, what are they going to do? So when Pharaoh was faced with trouble, he sent for Joseph. Nebuchadnezzar, in distress, called upon Daniel. These enlightened men of God knew the score. They could predict the future and point the way to safety. They were wise with the wisdom not of this world. And so were able to face the future with cheerfulness even when they knew how dark and troubled that future would be. Today also there are few men and women who can face the coming year without discouragement or terror. They are Christians. They are not smiling optimists who draw their comfort from a denial of the facts or base their hopes upon false expectations of peace, peaceful intentions among nations. Rather, they are all men, the true they are all of they are of all men the truest realist they will have nothing to do with fantasy they demand to know the facts whether those facts are good or bad they insist upon squaring their belief with the truth and do not hesitate to face up to any truth wherever it is found so when we know that god is with us and he's in charge we can face whatever whatever's going on yesterday we spoke about god's presence He's right here next to us. He's talking. He's, he's, he's available to us. We just don't see his world because our character, our beliefs, our faith, whatever it might be, just isn't there. But it can be because there were plenty of Christians in the past who went to their deaths singing because they knew God was with them and he would take them through all of it. No matter how bad the circumstances were, God walked walked with those people and he continues to walk with us today. He's not sitting on a throne as everyone says because he's everywhere. So it's with joy and it's with comfort. We can look at today's circumstances, today's world, the inflation, the chaos internationally, the wars and know that God has it under control and he's with you. I think after reading all of this, all of these stories and all, about all these people in Genesis, the most important thing that I'm taking away from it is God, his will and his plan will be fulfilled and God is with us. He wants what's best for you and me and he walks beside us. We have to just reach out our hands, open our eyes more completely and see him. But we can take comfort in the fact that even when these men and women were not obeying God, even when they weren't even aware of him or they were cheating, lying, stealing, murdering, he was still there and his game plan was being fulfilled. So with that, let's go ahead and uh, close our eyes in prayer. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your, your, your wisdom. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your comfort. I just lift up this time and I pray, the Lord, that we would hear all that you meant for us to hear, that we would understand it. And whatever's been missed, I pray our spirits would pick up on it. I pray that we would have eyes to see you 
that we would have hearts to love you and that we would hear your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining me at Just a Guy and His Journey Back to God. I hope you have a fabulous day.